Hello everyone, my name is Susan Lamarca and I'm the Executive Officer of the School Library Association of Victoria. Welcome to SLAB's third reading forum for 2022 entitled Reflection and Response. I'd like to formally and respectfully begin the event by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I am today, the Wurundjeri Willam people, one of the five tribes of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of this land. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and those with us here today, and specifically acknowledge the important role of story in the history and the lives of the traditional owners of this land. We have a very full and exciting program of speakers for this event, and looking forward to exploring the work of some great creators and various ideas around supporting young people in how they reflect on and respond to what they have read. This event has been created as a webinar, so only the presenters will be on the screen. Attendees cannot turn on their microphones or their cameras. So please do write any questions in the chat box and we will address them when we can. We are recording this forum and will make a link available to all participants. We will also be creating an audio version for our, our podcast channel. We have created a Padlet for this session and encourage all participants to add items on our topic to this space and I'll put the link in the chat uh, later on. I would like to begin by wel welcoming our first guest, a coll our colleague from the Public Library System. Christine Vandor is the Children's and Youth Services Team Leader with Maribyrnong Libraries and the lead on Public Libraries Victoria Big Summer Read. We are lucky to have her with us here today to share the details of this very exciting program. Welcome, Christine. Thank you very much for having me, Susan, and thank you very everybody. It's great to be here in this forum. Um, I'm just going to start to share my screen. Here we go. Can you all see that? Yes. Great. All right. Well, summer reading programs have been a staple for public libraries for many years. Um, we've done it well and we've done it not so well. We've participated in programs that have been handed down to us by state libraries and cobbled together our own with limited funding and resources. We haven't had a concerted effort here in Victoria for some time, but what we do have is a very active and engaged Children's and Youth Services Special Interest Group at Public Libraries Victoria. We are essentially a brain trust, a think tank of awesome youth librarians who love to share our work with each other to provide informed and evidence-based programs and services for our communities. So a statewide summer reading program created by us for all Victorian children seemed like a logical step for us to take. We formed a working group and one of the first things we discovered was that some services were spending lots on a summer reading program and others simply couldn't afford to do it at all. So there is a public library in every municipality in our state so at the heart of our program is the impetus to provide the resources our public libraries need to get kids reading over summer. So why? What's the big deal with kids reading over summer? Summer reading programs should encourage more reading for pleasure. We all know the benefits of reading for pleasure, which include increased empathy and understanding of others, a reduction in depression and benefits for overall personal wellbeing. Research shows that students who read for pleasure make significantly more progress in vocabulary, spelling and maths than children who read very little. Research also shows that reading for pleasure was found to be more important for children's cognitive development between the ages of 10 and 16 than their parents' level of education. 
and the summer literacy slide. This refers to the loss of literacy skills over the summer holidays if children do not read. The loss is estimated on average as the equivalent of two to three months of reading proficiency. Loss of reading proficiency is most acute in children from economically disadvantaged communities. And even more alarming, it looks as though the decline in learning gains has been exasperated in the last two years by successive COVID lockdowns. So we're only just now starting to understand the impact of lockdowns and school closures on learning and literacy skills. Some American research indicates that lockdown negatively impacted the early language and literacy development of babies and toddlers from the most disadvantaged backgrounds who had no books and resources at home. 76% of schools reported that children who started school in the autumn of 2020 needed more support than children in previous cohorts. Lockdown disrupted the literacy of all school-aged children. By autumn 2020, there was a learning loss of up to two months in reading in both primary and secondary pupils. So the role of public libraries. So public libraries engage with children mostly within the context of their family unit. We support parents as their child's first teacher and continue to support them to provide rich literacy environments and access to resources to nurture a love of books and reading. Public libraries are in a unique and advantageous position to address the summer slide and the literacy losses due to the impact of COVID. Studies have found that children who receive and read free books over summer experience the equivalent of attending three years of summer school with the most economically disadvantaged children gaining the most from such initiatives. Children who read at least as few as six books over the summer break can maintain their reading skills at levels achieved in the preceding school year. A Victorian approach to summer reading program raises awareness of the benefits of reading over summer and ensures that all Victorians have access to resources that have been proven to slow the slide. It also helps position our libraries as vital community resources in early literacy development, helping to foster a lifelong love of reading and learning. The Big Summer Read is open to all young people between the ages of zero to 18, but it's mostly pitched to primary school age children. It aims to slow the slide and increase literacy by engaging children and their families in a fun and dynamic campaign supported by Beanstack. Beanstack is a reading log tracker and reading challenge platform for desktop and mobile applications. It makes it very easy to register, to track reading, to submit book reviews and earn digital badges as rewards for reading, reaching reading milestones. The Big Summer Read takes a gamification approach with incentives to motivate kids to reach their reading milestones. It's designed to add an element of competition and really encourages kids to interact with, with the content. Registration is easy and collecting the badges is fun. While there's a grand prize to be won, any child who registers goes into the random draw. We're more interested in kids registering to be part of a big statewide reading thing and having fun rather than imposing onerous completion requirements, which as we know, can lead some of them to focus on the goal of finishing as many books as they can at the expense of the process, and that's enjoying those books. Last year, which was our first year, we had 8,500 kids register across the entire state, and they completed over 8,000 activity badges. They also wrote over 5,000 book reviews. So the program runs from the 1st of December to the 31st of January and pre-registration starts in early November. 
or supporting marketing collateral and resources are distributed well before the end of term. The Big Summer Read is a statewide campaign, but it's very much a local challenge. Each library service runs their own promotions under the branded marketing material, and we encourage them to partner with local businesses, community groups, schools, to support the program and spread the word, or to donate, well, the community groups in particular, local incentive prizes, and to get as many kids as possible engaged. So how can you help? We want you to partner with us. We want you to talk, we want you to tell the teachers, um, tell the parents, encourage your students to join. We would love schools to get on board with us to promote the summer reading. So you can email me, let's work together to slow the slide and get kids reading over summer. So um, if you email me with any details, I can put uh, individual schools into contact with a local library service who can then um, work together to slow the slide and get the big summer read up and running. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christine. I'm sure many of our schools will want to be behind that. Um, if you can put the um, details on the Padlet as well, because yep. the Padlet will stay as a record that people can access and they'll be able to go there and find out about it and who to contact. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is will be known to many of us, Rena, Rena Fung. Rena is a teacher librarian at Ivanhoe Grammar who loves to inspire and encourage her year eight students to read. She's a member of Slab Council and has been the convener of Northern Metro Branch since 2005. I do not believe that, Rena, you are not old enough. Rena is also a member of the FYI Editorial Committee and was the inaugural recipient of the Penny Gagan Award in 2017 and a very worthy winner. Welcome, Rena. Thank you, Susan. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, now, uh, gosh, sorry. Did I press share? Shit. Nothing's come up yet. Nothing's come up yet? Okay. Sometimes it takes a few seconds, though. There we are. It's loading now. Could be my Wi-Fi as well. <laughs> All right. That, you just need to put it onto slideshow. That's it. Yep. Okay. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Rena Fung. I'm a teacher librarian at Ivanhoe Grammar. I take all year eight classes for library lesson once a fortnight. Um, they are timetable into the library with the English teacher. However, recently I've been taking most of the classes on my own due to a lot of teachers being away because of COVID and um, replacement shortages. Uh, there are 10 classes all up, five boys class and five girls class. Um, they're separate, um, they're not mixed class. The library lesson consists of reading, writing, uh, which I call journal reflection. Um, not sure about your student, but my year eights are not very motivated to read or write. Um, they struggle to stay focused for long periods of time, so the lesson needs to be quite fun and engaging to get them interested. Uh, the 55 minutes lesson are broken up to help students stay focused and on task. So they read for 25 minutes, either at the start or at the end of the lesson, depending on what we're doing. Uh, then 25 minutes of class discussion and then writing in their journal and the last five minutes to borrow and return any books. Uh, the Year 8 reading program revolves around this reading challenge, as you can see. Uh, there's 25 boxes that they have to read for. 
um, from the start of the year to the end of October. Once they have finished reading a book, they need to record that into their journal with title, author, and which box they want to put that book in. And then they need to write three words to describe that book or three sentences or a review. It's up to them how they want to take it. Um, the two boxes with the asterisk underneath requires more information. So they need to write a bit more. They actually need to explain why or how that book makes them feel uneasy or why or how that book relates to them. Okay, so uh, those two need like um, a bit more explanation. So that's the writing part of that um, in terms of what they read and reflecting on that. Um, yep. um, I find that, you know, to get kids to do things, you really need to show them the benefits of it or how it relates. So uh, this slide is part of my um, class presentation to them. Um, you know, I always say to them that reading and writing goes hand in hand. It cannot be separated. Um, I show them the link that students who read will write better, students who write will read more. Um, so when, you know, this is the part where I actually show them, talk to them about it before they actually get their journal and start writing. So the benefits of reading and writing is always highlighted and stressed to the student. Uh, this is the part about the journaling, so the reasons why um, it's good for them, it clears their head, it helps them to get in touch with their feelings, it nurtures their creativity and it's a way for me to get to know them. There are 10 classes of, you know, 25 or, or 27 students and I don't have time in the class to actually speak to each one of them. So what they write in their journal is, um, is a way for me to get to know them. So I like them to be honest, um, to reflect. It's personal, uh, it's only me and who reads that journal. Um. So in the first reading lesson, the first first one for the year, the first book that they actually read is the picture book. So if I quickly go back, it's that picture book there. They get that done in that first lesson. Um, I select the picture books for them. Most of those books will have a theme or a message. And once they have finished reading that picture book in the class, they are to pick one of these critical question and answer it in their journal. So that's their first journal entry. Okay, so you can see those questions there up on the screen. I won't read it out. Uh, once they have finished writing in their journal, then they move on to the other two easy box, which is the graphic novel or manga, or the quick read, which is a, quick, um, a really thin book. Okay, so once they finish reading, once they finish uh, answering one of these questions, they move on to one of the other two. They can read in class or they borrow for the fortnight before I see them again. Um, and then the next lesson, it's all um, about getting to know the students because I don't know them yet. This is at the start of the year. And then we do three words to best describe you and why. So I would talk about the three words that best describe me first. We always have a class discussion to give them ideas before they start writing in their journal. They actually do find this part quite difficult. They can't come up with three words to describe them. And when they do, they don't know the reasons why as well. So we do have a lot of discussion about it. 
and you know I would have this up there on screen for them to look at as well and we talk about why you know being popular or being sexy is not as big as all the other words like brave and intelligent and they do come up with really um, good reasons why you know they would say that those are superficial words they are qualities or they are not um, at deep level. So um, it's really interesting what they come up with as well. So these are, you know, some words to give them ideas on what to write down to describe them, the three words to best describe them. Um, and then I think this is another lesson after that because they can't take too much writing. Uh, once again, it's about them and who they are as a reader. And that's what I want to know. So out of the seven question, uh, the minimum is four. This is to cater for the student who do find it hard to write. Um, you know, they're not as quick. So for the slower student or the CS student, um, they, the minimum is four, but if they want to be challenged, they can do all seven. So they pick and choose which one they want to answer. Do you like or dislike reading? Why? So why and explain is really important to me. I don't want one word answer or one sentence answer. I really want them to write a lot more. But all these questions are all about them and what they like and don't like. So it makes it easy for them to write. They do like to talk about themselves a lot. So um, yeah, they do like um, to do these kind of questions. Um, but I always give them ideas on what to write. So who's your favourite author and why? The best place for you to read, you need to explain that. And some of the descriptions are really beautiful. I can just imagine where they are sitting and reading. Um, yeah, what are your reading goals? So these are the questions at the start of the year to find out what kind of reader they are. Um, once that has handed in and I've gone through and read through their journal, this is the next lesson where I actually go through again what I really want them to write. So they need to reflect in full sentences. Um, they, they can be quite lazy. They don't like to write things out in full sentences, you know, one word answer all the time. So I stress full sentences, give details and reasoning and address the why. That's the most important thing for me. Keep it neat write in black, blue or pencil, and it must be completed. Otherwise, they need to do it in the next lesson or they have to come back at lunchtime. So I give them time to write, so they do need to write it in that lesson. The red star, it means that it's an outstanding reflection. It has like addressed all those criteria and it's something that is different to what I normally read. As you can imagine, I read through so many journals throughout the year, year after year. So, you know, when something is so different that um, stood out to me, they will get that red star. And that means that they get a chuppu chup in that class as well. So a little prize for them. And they really do, um, it motivates them to uh, write well and to try to get that red star as well. So it's a way for me to uh, let them know that their work is really outstanding. Um, this is just one of the lessons that we would do. Uh, they would read for 25 minutes. At the end of 25 minutes, they stop. I get them to write down the title of their book and today's date. And once again, they choose one sentence starter and reflect in terms of what they have been reading for that 25 minutes. So, you know, for the students who are not focused, who are, you know, looking around, not focusing on their reading, 
you um, I tend to stress that you need to read for that 25 minutes or you're going to find it difficult to do the next part of the lesson. So um, am I going too fast? Um, I can share these slides with you uh, with the questions. Um, I'm just aware of time. Um, the other thing that we look at is ebook versus printed book and what they prefer. Once again, I do this lesson because I need to introduce them to our audio books in the library, uh, how to log on. So we look at ebook versus um, printed book, the pros and cons of both format, and then they write down what they prefer with three reasons to back up their preference. So we have a class discussion on that first. And once again, we look at books made into movies, uh, which is better, Ooh, sorry, uh, which is better, books or movies, okay? Uh, they love these topics, especially the books made into movies. Um, so the reflection part for that is, uh, oh, sorry, I don't know why my slide is moving. Which do you prefer? Do you agree with the image um, on the side there, but I have that on a screen and we talk about that first. Um, they need to use a specific example, a book and a movie they have seen and read the book for as well to support their response. So um, they like doing that. The majority of them have actually seen the movie more than they've read the book. Um, this I have just done recently. Uh, usually the mid-year reading reflection is done at the start of term three. Uh, I'm in the process of reading all their responses to this um, journal reflection. Once again, there are eight questions, but the minimum is four, so they can pick and choose what they um, want to answer. It's about how they see themselves going so far. Um, I know how they have been going, uh, whether they have used their reading session effectively or not, but I want to see how they have, how they think they have gone, um, what ways they can improve, what ways they can help themselves to get better. So you can see in what ways could you get more reading done. Um, a lot of the time they say that they need to get off social media, put their phone away. They do, they're aware of all those things that they need to do. So um, it's just a matter of them actually doing it. And I do point that out to them as well. Uh, the thing that I'm interested in also is has their reading increased or decreased since last year? So I don't have them in year seven, so I don't know how much they have read. So it's a good question to actually know whether they have increased or not. And um, it is great. The majority of their reading has increased because of the reading challenge. It has motivated them to, them to read more. Um, and one of them is so funny, their reflection. Um, they said that their reading has increased more because of my nagging them. So that's all right. I don't mind. As long as they read, I'm happy to nag. So, um, so those are the eight questions for the mid-year reading reflection. Now to break up, sometimes to break up the, um, the writing bit, um, the lots of writing, uh, we do different things as well, like a mind map of the benefits of reading. So once again, we talk about all the different benefits. I would go around the class and ask, you know, everyone to come up with one benefits of reading. And that's how we share the, um, you know, give people ideas. And what they need to do is make a mind map of um, all the benefits of reading. Of course, I want a minimum of 10 different benefits. If they can get more than 10, that's fantastic. But the minimum needs to be 10. 
and the, um, the mind maps are fantastic. Um, the other thing that they do also, what am I up to? The book recommendation. Uh, this is a chance for students to be a bit more creative with their work. Um, they need to recommend a book that they have read this year that they really, really enjoy. They make a PowerPoint slide for that. Um, they can use images, change the font to match their book and uh, include a, a, an image of their book. And as you can see, this is some of the work that they have done. So that's the, quite a bit of writing and reflection on the book that they have read, who they would recommend it to, why they like it. Okay, so that's another one. So the difference. Um, once they have done this PowerPoint slide, I collate it and I put it on the TV in the library as well so that pe other people can see. Um, it's part, it forms part of this display in the library. Um, the other thing that they also need to do is talk about the book and then they would, um, depending on this wheel that spins around, whichever question it lands on, they will answer that question in terms of that book that they have recommended to everyone. Uh, the other fun thing that they do or creative thing that they do is the blackout poetry. Um, that's another way as well for students to be creative. They also love this activity and these are some of their work. I used to start this PowerPoint with um, other people's work that I get from Pinterest, but now I just use um, the student, my own students' work. So this is, um, you know, the past students, what they have done. We're out of time, Rena. Yep, and I've nearly finished. Uh, and this is the last one to end the lesson, um, usually the last lesson for the year to help them, to encourage them to continue to read. There's hundreds of reasons. So these are the five that I want them to read. And then after that, they go through the hundred and they highlight the ones that why they read. And then they have to write up why and explain a little more why. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Rena. Fantastic. Lots of wonderful ideas. I like your 100 reasons to read. Yeah. That was really good. Thank you again. You're always wonderful. Our, our next guest speaker is one of our creators who's joining us today, Carla Fitzgerald. Carla is a writer, a recovered lawyer and a mum of three from Sydney. She studied arts law at university before working for a judge in private practice and at the Australian Human Rights Commission. Only after that did she discover or rediscover the great fun of making stuff up and writing it down. Carla is a Books in Homes role model and a coach with the Harding Miller Education Foundation. And Carla is going to share with us her new debut novel, How to Be a Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5. Welcome, Carla. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I yeah, actually just forgot I was speaking because I was just listening to the other speakers. That was really, really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm here to talk about uh, how to be Prime Minister and survive Grade 5. Um, I don't have slides, but I'll put information like teacher's notes and um, other links um, in the Padlet. Um, but, yes, yeah, this, um, uh, this is my protagonist here, Harper. Um, I believe Emily Gale also has a Harper. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, great minds. <laughs> Not that I would compare myself to the legendary Emily, but, um, yeah, so this is Harper here um, 
looking up at all um, the the real and imagined PMs. Um, and yeah, when I saw this cover, I just went, wow. Um, I never thought I'd have John Howard on the cover of my first middle grade book, but yeah, life is unexpected like that. So um, yeah, it was inspired by a scene where in the book where Harper's looking up um, at portraits of, of past PMs and um, imagining if, yeah, if she can uh, do a better job, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I was going to just uh, briefly um, talk about the inspiration for the book um, and just a bit about the characters and the setting and um, how it might be used in schools. I'm, I'm very new to this, so you are, you are the experts about how to use it in schools, but um, yeah, I do have some ideas. Um, yeah, so um, as Susan mentioned, I, I, um, I did study law, but then you know I, I worked for a bit, and then I had three children, um, and yeah, who knows why I started writing, and you know, in the busiest time in my life. But I think that's that's not uncommon for um, a lot of female writers, and for me, it was a real lifeline um, when I was drowning in nappies and milk. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it was mostly short stories to begin with, and then. Ah, uh, they got longer, and then I found writing for children, and um, yeah, I started to take it more seriously. Um, so my my debut picture book came out in April this year, Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds. Um, it's the story of a dog named Jet and her struggles to keep up with the super stylish Dash Hounds. Uh, so yeah, it's about friendship and consumerism and uh, the joy of being yourself. Um, I thought I'd just mention that. I'm, I won't talk about it, but that's um, yeah, that was my first book, um, and yeah, How to Be Prime Minister is my debut middle grade. It's my uh, heart and soul. Um, it comes out next Tuesday, which is slightly terrifying and exciting and overwhelming, all the words. Um, but yeah, to give you the elevator pitch, it's the story of 11-year-old Harper and what happens when her dad is thrust into the role of Prime Minister. Um, unfortunately, Harper's dad is terrible at it and soon their family is a laughing stock. So dad disappears to a conference, a conference, leaving his phone behind. Um, so with her little sister Lottie, Harper must secretly take his place and decide on a new policy before it's too late. Harper finds herself torn between ideas. Should she ban plastic bottles or make weekends longer? Can she prove a kid can lead the country better than a grown-up? So it's a fun and humorous story about power and mischief and what you'd do if you could change the world. because. Who doesn't want to do that sometimes? Um, my view is that it, it does fall into that sort of eight to twelve category, and I know I know there's different definitions of middle grade, but um, I would say for for anyone aged eight and up, um, I know some adults who have enjoyed it, and some of those adults were not even related to me. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. I, I I think yeah that there's things you, you can read it on a few levels. Um, my view is that it would make a good read aloud um, because it seems to be a book that um, generates discussion. So I'd like to think it could be um, a platform to bounce off to talk about a few more serious type issues. Um, but I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Um, so a few people have asked, you know, how did I um, come up with 
the idea for it. And you would understand that um, ideas usually never come from one place. Um, but I do remember the, the first spark of an idea was, it was nearing my children's bedtime one evening. So I was very much focused on my, you know, getting ready for my tea and me time. Um, but my eldest son was telling me about um, this speech that he had coming up. And the topic was, if kids ruled the world. And he'd never been so excited about any of his speeches to date. He was literally jumping up and down on the bed as we discussed um, some of his ideas and, and some of the ideas of his classmates. So it wasn't exactly, you know, conducive to sleep, but that's that's okay because I was, my brain had started ticking. Um, so, um, you know, some of his ideas range from, you know, the outlandish, like, um, free lollies from the canteen, slippery slides at the entrance to every classroom, to the more profound, um, including strategies to save the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and as I listened to him, I really thought about how these ideas encapsulated the joy and the sincerity and the wisdom of, of children generally. So that was sort of percolating in my mind. But um, the greatest gift, though, was um, subsequently seeing Ivanka Trump um, inexplicably appear at a meeting of world leaders on behalf of her dad. Uh, it was it was draw dropping uh, for a number of reasons, and and it gave me the what if moment I needed. What if the prime minister's daughter was younger than Ivanka and had all of this responsibility? Um, so I had this image in my head of a tiny girl sitting at a table of world leaders, and it. It was funny and ridiculous, but also, you know, kind of inspiring. Um, and there were other influence of other influences, of course, including our own former prime minister's ill-timed trip to Hawaii and um, general lack of action on on certain issues uh, such as climate change. So I will admit that writing this, some of it was therapy for me. <laughs> um, so I was balancing all these sort of things. Um, but one thing I really didn't want it to be was this really heavy, serious tone where the young people have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, yeah, my focus was on capturing the excitement that kids feel when, when they're the boss, when they're in charge, that excited, bouncing on the bed feeling. Um, my kids often fight about who will be the boss of a game. And so this was just taking it one step further. Um, but in with the laughs and the wish fulfillment, I, I couldn't ignore the reality that with um, power comes enormous responsibility. And I do know a lot of young people who would love to do something, who would love the power to do something about big, is big issues like climate change. Um, and you would know that there are some fabulous books for kids about recycling and taking care of our planet. And individual responsibility is is vitally important, but our elected leaders have the power to make significant change, and I wanted to reflect that. So I was always striving uh, to strike the right balance between the fun and the serious. Um, uh, so that brings me to Harper, my um, my protagonist. Um, she is a quiet sort of person, um, sort of a flying, someone who wants to fly under the radar. Um, she could have been one of those kids who grabs the power and runs with it, but I thought it would be more interesting if Harper was reluctant to be in the spotlight and didn't really want to take on her dad's role. Um, we, we have to make life hard for our protagonist, don't we? So it would be too easy if she wanted to be prime minister. Um, so I spent a lot of time um, reading about children of world leaders and watching footage of them during 
those victory speeches and I became fascinated about how they felt in those big moments when their lives were changing forever. Um, Chelsea Clinton, for example, has a fair bit to say about her experience. But one thing I also wanted to do was I wanted Harper to be relatable for kids. Otherwise, she's just, you know, she's a privileged white girl complaining about her privileged life. Um, so what I tried to do with Harper is um, she feels as though she has a life that she didn't ask for. And I think that's relatable for kids because often they go through change, like moving house or moving schools or family separation. And um, it was that feeling of not having control over, their, over her life that I wanted to tap into. Um, Harper also struggles with speeches and that's something um, I struggled with as a child and um, something I know doesn't come easily to, to all kids. Um, so this Harper, she's, um, yeah, she's the protagonist and um, Lottie is her sister. She's the keen one. She loves making speeches. She's got lots of big ideas about change and this is the moment she's dreamt of her whole life. Um, but on the other hand, there is um, Theo, her new friend, who's more of a live in the moment sort of guy. Who's, he's the one pushing for free lollies and longer school holidays. So Harper has Lott Lottie and Theo on each shoulder and she has to decide the way forward. Um, sorry, I'm just checking the time. Um, yeah, just on setting, I chose to set it at Kirribilli House rather than Canberra um, because at the time that is where our Prime Minister was living but also selfishly um, it's an area that I know better than Canberra and I just felt more comfortable describing. Uh, but there were challenges to setting it in a well-known place that I couldn't access. <laughs> I couldn't knock on the door of Kirribilli House and ask for a tour, certainly not in COVID times anyway. So I did the best I could cobbling together the information from historical records and watching footage of events um, uh, that had occurred on, on the grounds of Kirribilli House. Um, there were other challenges like finding out details of the Prime Minister's security and staff and living arrangements. Um, if anyone had looked at my Google searches around that time, um, they would have thought I was planning some sort of assassination attempt. Um, yeah, but that's, that's sort of um, how I dealt with setting. So I'll just finish up. Just um, as I said, the teaching notes are in the Padlet, but um, when I think about how it might be used in schools, um, I think about the essential question that underpins it all, which is, um, what would you do if you're in charge of the country? And I have found when talking to kids that that generally produces a lot of um, excitement. So often it's those, um, you know, free stuff from the canteen type answers, but then it can move into a discussion around more um, serious issues. Um, and so, as I mentioned, Harper has to choose between a few policy ideas. So um, at the back, there's a series of um, would you rathers. Um, would you rather um, have the ability to read minds or be invisible? Would you rather travel to the past or the future, sit in a room with a sleeping tiger or 10 bees? Um, so yeah, I think um, it's a, they're silly and fun, obviously, but it's just about thinking, well, what would you choose? And, and then a discussion of why. Um, also, really briefly, I think it could perhaps be used as part of a discussion of our parliamentary system. It doesn't go into detail about the ins and outs of the system, um, but it does reflect that laws are made by people in power. 
Um, it's, they start with an idea that becomes a policy that may eventually become law. Um, and I know there's some really excellent books that go into that a bit more. Um, Vote for Me, Camp Canberra by Chris Sacklier. So it could be perhaps used in conjunction with that. Um, and there's obviously the the child advocacy aspect standing, you know, it's about kids standing up for what they believe in. It's about action and change. So um, similar to Nat Amor's Power of Positive Pranking um, or Yvette Poshoglian's Dear Greta, um, that that type of thing. I think I'm just about out of time. Um, yeah, so look, thank you for listening to me, um, Babylon, about the book. Um, as I said, I, I'm pretty new to this. Um, I'm, I'm not yet signed with a, a, a speaker's agency. I'm sort of in the process of that. But yeah, I'd love to um, yeah, start getting out to schools in the future. And um, you can always contact me on my website. So thank you. Thank you, Carla. That was fantastic and really, I mean, you, I think you really sold the book very well. You did a great job. If you take a look in the chat, there's all kinds of wonderful positive comments that people are making about oh, how much they've enjoyed listening to you and how much they think their students will enjoy the book. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, we wish you every good wish for the launch next week. We hope it goes very well. Thanks, Susan. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on. Our next guest speaker is a colleague from Interstate, which is lovely to have someone joining us, Madison Dearnley. Uh, De oh, sorry, Madison, if I got that wrong. Uh, Madison is at the is the Information Services Teacher Librarian at St Paul's School, Bald Hills in Queensland, and part of the Students Need School Libraries campaign leadership team. Madison is also a professional reader and blogs about all things school libraries and YA children's fiction at madisonslibrary.com. Welcome, Madison. How are you? I'm going okay. Um, everyone listening, unfortunately, I've been a little bit unwell. So if I momentarily um, pause or mute myself, that's simply so that I can um, cough without... Um, doing that in your ears. So please bear with me. Hopefully uh, you can see my slides and we'll get this underway. So today I am talking about authentic reading responses. And when I look or think about what an authentic reading response is, especially um, within this library space that we work within, in our classrooms, I come back to discussion and sharing. As a reader, what's my first response to a, a book is an emotional response, and it's usually needing to go and speak to someone about it. Am I squealing with joy and exclaiming and needing to tell everyone about this, or am I throwing it across the room because it's driving me nuts? It's all about the emotion. And so when I think about an authentic response for our students, if they're to really fall in love with reading, it's all about promoting the emotion of it as well as the discussion and the sharing of reading. So I think when I look at it through a, a school library lens, how do I set up my space? How do I set up my library lessons? And, and the speakers who've gone before me have shared such amazing ideas already. When I think about my space, when you walk through the doors of my library, you are immediately hit with three displays. So either side of the doors have got empty shelves that I've been able to clear off and then a table as you come up. And so we have cleared them off and put displays on there. The displays we feature are always topical 
um, displays. So I'm at an independent school that's um, pre-prepped to year 12. So we're looking at year threes, uh, sorry, three-year-olds all the way to 18-year-olds. And I'm predominantly in the high school space. We have a junior library and we have a secondary library and I'm usually in that secondary library. So that's what I'm showing you photos of today, which is why I can promote things like BookTok and Heartstopper, anything that's topical, anything that you're seeing in bookshops. Those are the sort of things that I have students gathering around these displays and exclaiming over them or huddling over a book and going, oh, have you seen the TV show? Have you read the book yet? Um, we've actually kept book talk up. Um, we took it down, but then they're all going, where's the book? So a lot of the displays are less about events or um, calendar things and more about what is really um, trending or, or popular. And it's all about promoting those spaces. The students know as soon as they walk in the door, I want them to gather around those tables and those shelves and start talking about these books. I've also got um, different things that I use throughout the years to talk um, to promote collaboration because that discussion needs to come out of collaboration. So things that have worked really well are things like buddy reads where we've got multiple copies of a book or where we have an ebook and a um, physical book or an audio book that we encourage students to, to pair up and read. Things like book bingo or things like the, the reading grid um, that Rena was talking about before are awesome for getting students together and starting to have a, a collaboration where they can start to, to read and talk about what they're doing. Competitions, we've got the CBCA shortlist at the moment. How can you get students um, voting for them how can you get them talking about this? Um, I did this a couple of years ago with the Reading World Cup, where it's quite a few years ago actually, that we had like a, a World Cup where students got to vote on their favourite books and we ended up with two final winners and that just promoted a lot of discussion. But there, I know that there are a lot of other um, student-led or student voting-based um, awards around Australia and initiatives that you can use. When I run my library lessons, which I'm fortunate to be able to do with our secondary students, it's not a timetabled thing, so it's an English teacher opt-in, but I have most year seven and eight classes coming in for regular fortnight lessons. And then over and above that, we have the extras that pop in for maybe once a term or twice a term or, or once a, a unit. And when I'm promoting reading, most of those sessions are either, you know, book talks and, and then reading time. But when those reading time happens, I ensure that I, I have a mix between the times when I say find a book, you know, find your own space and do that deep um, intensive sort of reading as well as non-silent reading. So I really promote discussion. I'm totally fine if I've got three boys all gathered around the magazines or the graphic novels or the um, uh, sorry, um, Guinness World Record books. Same for any of the students. I love them gathering around and talking. So again, those buddy reads, reading aloud to them, they absolutely love it, especially the high schoolers using audiobooks and being able to just play that so that they enjoy and understand that those forms of reading are equally important. They love reading to each other. Um, the photos that I have up there are from our Instagram. And if you scroll, scroll through that, it's um, SPS Library. I'll put the link in the Padlet, but if you scroll through that, you'll see that so many of our sessions are about them engaging with each other. 
So discussion is totally allowed, as are those group reading and those reading competitions. And I loved the um, what Christine was talking about from the public library. And we certainly do promote and work with our public libraries up here in Queensland and use those resources because so much of that is, is set up and ready for us to go, which is amazing. Also looking at a visual response from our students. How are they reacting to books in realistic ways? And now that we have things like Instagram, social media and TikTok, it's often a visual response that they wish to create. I sometimes have this as a set task within our lessons, but often this is student led. They see these pop up on our library TV or our Instagram and they say, hey, I've made one. Can I add it? They love seeing it up there. So it's often student directed. They know that I'll promote what they create. But creating things like book snaps, um, St Readers uh, is a school up here in Queensland who have some beautiful example of book snaps. But using those visual graphics, things like Canva are so easy for students to be able to access and create these graphics. Or as Raina was talking about, um, PowerPoint. The um, video format are really important. Things like book talk or creating reels or podcasting about their responses to reading. When we look at the book talks that are trending, Excuse me. Again, so much of that is emotion based. It's those books that um, made me cry. It's recommendations for, you know, books that if you liked this, read this. So allowing students cre to create that um, audiovisual response is something that I've really liked doing and also exploring story through those mediums. So we we watch um, some when I when students come into the library for the start of their lesson, I um, allow them to watch some of the reels. I have them going as I go, um, and then I add all of that to our social media. Excuse me for a second. I don't know how to mute while I'm sharing my screen, so you're going to have to hear me cough. I'm so sorry, everyone. Oh, um, while I'm on that, we also do books, sports and gaming. So we do a lot of VR. So I just recently had our fantasy um, exploration. We were talking about that. So students were exploring their fantasy through um, VR fantasy worlds. And this is not high tech VR. This is just phones in um, in our graphic um, in like a little um, headset thing. So it's not expensive VR. It's very easy to do at a low cost. Listen recommendations is another way that students react and share with their reading. We have a blog. So when our library captain was crowned, <clears throat> um, she created a blog for us. Excuse me. <coughs> and she put up a list of books that she loves. These are promoted on our library homepage as well. And um, we do that with our book clubbers. They create top recommended lists. That's a really popular way of them to reflect on the books that they're loving. Shelf talkers are amazing <clears throat> and easy to do and very quick. They don't need to take long with a couple of lines. Adding those to the catalogue and on social media and sharing with them with publishers. So we work with our local independent um, bookshop and they give us advanced reader copies, which I can share with the students. That's a really authentic way for them to look at um, what's about to be published and then reflect on them and have that shared with authors and publishers. 
I think it's important not to forget nonfiction when we talk about authentic reading responses and so often it's nonfiction that's so easy to do that with because when you think about a cookbook, the first thing that you do to respond to reading that is to make something. So there are some awesome examples of how um, baking competitions, we have a crochet and knitters group, so the, the collection, and we've been able to expand our collection in that area to support that group. Our students adore trivia. They just love it. And so being able to promote our nonfiction collections with that, um, Lego and Minecraft, obviously two really easy, popular ways to connect reading and making. Book clubs, the way I run my book clubs are that it's very open, it's very casual. It's come along and talk about the books that you love to read. So it's that authentic discussion, promotion, as well as some fun activities like making wands, things like that. Um, then also tapping into how they're um, interacting with books online. So BookTok and Instagram, I've mentioned already a few times. It's about tapping into that emotional response. <clears throat> Something that's really interesting to me is book tabbing. And I had that on the first page where students or, or people on um, TikTok are putting little colored tabs into their books. And my students are doing that. So I see them come in with their books and they're completely full of these little tabs and that's so that they can mark the bits that make them angry, the world building, everyone's got little um, different things for what the different colours mean. But I'm starting to look at how do I tap into these authentic responses that are starting to come out that my students are picking up, how do I support that? So on our um, circulation desk, <clears throat> sorry, um, we have little book, little tabs that they can take and use but I'm looking to expand on those sort of ideas. I've got some more ideas about activities and interactives um, on my book club interactives blog post and I'll share that in the Padlet. Um, and there's my social media uh, connections, but I'll probably share, I've got a recording of this, which was my backup for this session, which I might share as well. So you can hear this discussion without the coughing and hopefully you can understand what I was saying through that. Oh, Madison, that was amazing. You were, you did wonderfully well. I feel like we tortured you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, you, you, really, it was not invasive, but we all felt your pain. I hope you're feeling better soon and I hope um, you recover really quickly. Uh, but that was absolutely fantastic. Um, Chock-a-block full of great ideas. So thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Okay, we'll move on for Madison. Um, but doing a, such a wonderful job up there in Queensland. It's now my pleasure to welcome to the screen Emily Gale. Emily has worked in the children's book industry for over 20 years in various roles, in-house editor, consultant to a literary agent, children's book buyer, award judge, reviewer, freelance manuscript assessor and as a writer in residence in a high school library. Her writing ranges across many age groups and has been shortlisted for various Australian awards, her latest novel, Elsewhere Girls with Nova Wheatman, was a CBCA notable. And her next, due in August, which I hope we're going to hear about today, is called The Goodbye Year. Welcome, Emily. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me to speak. Um, I'm going to spend half the time talking about my work as a writer in residence uh, in a school library, and then a little bit of time talking about The Goodbye Year as well. Um, I feel such a solidarity with librarians, especially having been very closely involved with a couple of school libraries in the last few years. Um, 
no one came out of 2020 unscathed, I think it's fair to say. And uh, for children's authors, as I'm sure you know, um, our entire, well, most of our income was um, wiped out by lockdowns. That's secretly how we all make our money from school and library visits. Um, so at the end of 2020, I really did not trust that everything was going to go um, back to normal. And so I applied for a part-time job in the school library. Um, I was extremely surprised and thrilled to get it. Um, but I became part of a team of qualified librarians in a private school two days a week. And my job title was writer in residence. But my remit was to focus on reading rather than writing, especially in the first few terms. So the job title is a little bit confusing, but also accurate. But reading was my priority in class time. And I was the person responsible for years six to eight. I also ran a lunchtime writing club and a lunchtime games club, which turned into an entire year of very raucous bananagrams and was such fun. I miss it a lot. So um, the school was very well resourced with wonderful qualified librarian staff. Um, but even though the, the school had everything it needed, the focus and enthusiasm for reading in that cohort was not in a good place coming straight after 2020. I saw each English class um, once a fortnight and very early on I witnessed how disruptive and unfocused students would be if I said, you know, let me introduce you to a fantastic book. Now we're all going to sit and have some quiet reading time. Um, for many of them, that wasn't going to happen. So eventually I came up with a mixture of established library session ideas like book tastings and reviews and book bingo and me reading to them and all these wonderful things that are out there for us to find and also some random creative ideas that I came up with. I focused on what was in it for them. So similar to what Rena was saying earlier, what's in it for you? Um, because when I asked them why they didn't read, too many of them said they couldn't physically look at a page of text and focus on it. Um, others said they'd never loved reading. I had my suspicions about that. Others said they no longer saw the point. Um, so two things I focused on, fo um, their focus, their ability to focus, um, and also the what's the point. Um, now this all sounds a bit grim, of course. I was also connecting with the fiercely enthusiastic readers and building a rapport with them and arranging incursions, paying attention to what they needed in the collection, um, and organizing challenges. And one of those was a Beanstack challenge that was being talked about um, right at the top of the session. So these are my little bookmarks for my um, summer reading challenge. So Beanstack, yeah, very highly recommend getting involved in that Beanstack challenge that we heard about up top. Um, yeah, so for much of the year, my lessons were in person, but of course, 2021 did involve some lockdowns as well. So then um, I would pivot to online library sessions. So I'm just going to show you, you a few things that um, that I remember, the sort of highlights, I suppose, of library sessions. Hopefully I can uh, share my screen. All right. 
Um, all right, so very early on, I introduced them to the Pomodoro method to try and get a bit of focus back. Because this is how I stay focused when I'm writing novels. So I had, I don't even know if you can still see me now, but I had this big plastic tomato with a, with a timer inside. They thought this was hilarious and very daggy, but I would time their reading sessions with this. Um, it was very, very simple, and I, a few of the English teachers were quite cynical about it at first. Um, and I understood why, but once I explained why it worked to the kids, they just got really, really into it to the point where when they came into the library, they would say, can we do Pomodoro? Um, so I found that it really got the year eight boys in particular, this was a, a mixed school, to sit still even for just 15 minutes, which in 2021, especially at the beginning, was a real challenge. Uh, so we did Pomodoros and in the first, um, in the first Pomodoro, I would always find that not many people were concentrating and people were chatting quite a lot and things like that. And then I'd say, right, now it's time. You can either do push-ups, I don't care, or you can talk about the book, or you can just have a big loud chat, doesn't matter, but you've got a timed, do whatever you like, and then we'll come back to it. And the second Pomodoro was when it would, the magic would happen. They would got, get, have got everything out of their system, and then they would really focus on a book for 15 minutes. And I thought, well, that's, that's gold. Um, so we keep going with that. Um, one of the liveliest sessions I had with year eight was about the mind's eye. So I talked about what the brain experiences when we read um, and how this varies hugely from person to person. I described in detail um, how my mind's eye helps me to write. And then I used passages from novels to ask students, how do you see this? in your mind's eye? Is it blurry? Is it sharp? Can you add your own details to it? And we talked about writers who don't have a mind's eye. So that's called aphantasia, um, who write from a completely different place. And this then led very naturally into a conversation about different brain responses to stimuli, um, such as ASMR videos, which they were all absolutely crazy about. And so we just talked about the brain a lot, and that seemed to be a good way in to a discussion about what reading is, why we do it, and what happens to us when we read. And then throughout the year, I referred back to this concept of a mind's eye as a sort of refocusing exercise. So I added it to the traditional um, first chapter tasting exercise, and I asked them to reflect on where they had formed that mental picture and to think about how the writer had achieved that how they had taken an image from their own head, put it into language, and it, transferred it into your head. And they seem to respond really well, again, to the science of that. Um, obviously, some of them love the whimsy and the romance of reading, and others really like to talk about the science of reading. Um, so too many of the students by year eight were saying that um, they'd never enjoyed reading. And I felt like that was something they'd got into the habit of saying. I wanted to test that out. I suspected that some of them had forgotten a lot of the joy they'd had in reading from their earlier years. So I asked them to help me make a book flick. Of course, a well-loved school library feature. So I made a digital one and I showed them on a big screen. It looked great. You could click into every single book 
and you would find then it opened out into a page where you might find a, a YouTube clip about the book or a synopsis of the book or something else to do with the book. And then I put them into groups of four and each group had to come up with two book flicks themes and they had to put at least four books into each of those themes. And I said, if you're not reading right now, then go into the primary school section of the library and rediscover what you loved in the earlier years. And this meant that for what were then sort of reluctant readers, they knew they could complete this task. And I sort of followed them around a bit, spying on them to see what was happening. And there they were pulling out the treehouse books, pulling out the Morris Gleitzmans, remembering what they loved in year five and six, Oh, yes, you did used to love reading. You're lying to me. Um, so it was really lovely to, to watch them reconnect with those experiences they, that they'd had in previous years when they weren't year eight tough guys. Um, what I also loved was that this project worked so well for really keen readers. So I had one particular year seven who asked me if he could have the template of BookFlix, and he made his own entire BookFlix over a period of weeks. Um, and that's the one that you can see there, the student created book flicks. Um, each book um, clicks into a page with something else to learn. So that was, that was amazing that he did that. Um, as we got into the final term, I turned my attention a little bit more to writing. Um, I did a whole session just on first lines, a very sort of forensic look at first lines where we really had a good poke around at some classic lines and some modern lines. Um, and, and I also use this to talk about what to do when you are faced with a blank page yourself. Um, so I try to make it sort of useful for them in terms of going forward, having to write a creative piece themselves or even just the start of an essay. Um, but my favorite writing um, task was STEM based. And I designed it around my book um, about Professor Gisela Kaplan, which is part of the Aussie STEM Star series, which now has, I think, maybe eight or ten books in the series. It's a fantastic series. Um, so in this writing challenge, this was for year sixes, um, students could choose one of six female scientists that I picked out. Um, we did research sessions. Um, so we, I had library displays. Um, of books and photographs and biographies and so on. Um, and then they had to use that as the spark for a creative piece. Um, we turned this into a competition and what you're seeing there is a little website that I made to showcase some of the um, brilliant stories that they wrote. Um, and I was very pleased with how this task turned, turned out, especially for a student who had a lot of trouble with tasks um, that didn't fit in his particular interest level. And he actually ended up writing one of the best stories of the year. So that was great. Um, I was very emotional about saying goodbye um, to this library job. Um, but reflecting on that year, and also um, a previous year when I had volunteered in a primary school library with a very small budget, um, I was reminded and it reinforced in me that the most important asset is having a living, breathing, qualified person in the library um, championing the space and the resources. Uh, 
which is my little segue into The Goodbye Year, my new novel for ages 10 plus, um, the other harper of, of this presentation. Um, so the spark came for this book when I was one of two parent volunteers in my kids' school library. Um, it was getting towards my son's the end of um, primary school for my son, and so the end of my association with this school, um, which had been very um, unenthusiastic about things like book day and library when I started, and I'd managed to convince them to have book day, and they still didn't have a librarian, and they hadn't had one for a long time. I'd sat down with the principal and had one of the most frustrating meetings of my life trying to convince her to fund um, a librarian position and um, it was like a brick wall and I felt like well I can either try to do something lovely for this library or I can just do nothing so I decided to do something I know that having volunteers may be a controversial thing but it felt like the last resort for me um, so I threw myself into it with the whole um, the whole idea, how do I make this library more visible to everybody? So this school also had a bit of history to it, and it was split into four houses, and my kids were in Martin House. And Martin House was named after Jim Martin, who is the youngest known soldier to have died in World War One. He left the school at 12, and he joined up at 14. And he died of typhoid on a ship off Gallipoli, aged 14 years and nine months. So I decided that someone like Jim should be a character in my next book. And I decided that would be a ghost who lives in a library that has no librarian. And to this story, I added a lovely bookish girl called Harper, who is full of anticipation about her final year of primary school. At last, I'm at the top, the year everyone respects. This is going to go brilliantly. And at the start of the year, she is made library captain. And she is excited because she loves the library. She can't wait to wear the badge and be important. Uh, only a library with no librarian quickly loses importance in a school. And as Harper discovers, her friends don't seem that enthusiastic about her role. And there really isn't a role for her because she has the badge and the job title, but the library is locked most of the time. So it was while writing this story that I realized I wanted to give it a COVID framework to make this story into a little time capsule and show how adventures can be had even when circumstances suddenly change. So Harper's year six is 2020. I've thought a lot about the way that knowing a little bit of history comforts me when the world feels like it's going off the rails. So I wanted to provide the comfort of a little bit of history in contemporary fiction for children. That sense that we are part of a huge narrative. And this can be a secular or a religious philosophy, but we don't have control over that huge narrative as individuals. But we're each of us a character who appears suddenly somewhere along that pathway of the enormous story. And we can write our own story even while we're part of a larger one that we can't write. So when students hear about young people like Jim, and then there's another, um, 
reference to a historical character as well. When they hear about those young people on the timeline in 1914 or 1918 or 1939, they can feel this sense of connection. I mean, kids at the end of primary school are not much younger than Jim Martin was when he went off to World War I. Um, there's also the presence of another spirit in the story, and that spirit's inspired by Maud Butler, who you can see there standing. Maud um, left school at, 16, at 14. When war broke out, she wanted to be a nurse, but she was turned away. So she cut off all of her hair. She borrowed uniform, and she was a stowaway on a ship bound for Egypt. She was discovered and promptly thrown off the ship. But she didn't stop there. She tried again. And this time she had the wrong boots and someone spotted her boots. And again, she was thrown off the ship. Eventually, she went on to become a nurse and she lived a wonderful life. Um, so I really wanted to have um, a reference to her in the story. Um, you know, war stories are not just about boys or for boys. So I thought that she would be a really wonderful person for everyone to learn about. Um, and as for Harper, she manages to have a life-changing adventure within the framework of 2020. Um, so it's a story of how a life changes direction and how we adapt and keep going on that grand narrative. That's it from me. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Emily. That was wonderful. Uh, such great ideas. They were very lucky to have you in that library. Um, <laughs> I think we'd all, I think everyone would love to have you come as a visitor and be a writer in residence, um, sharing so much wonderful material. And thank you for sharing that new book with us. That was fascinating. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Okay, we are going to move on to our our very last. Um, presentation, which is a conversation. Uh, so I'd like to welcome two colleagues who are going to talk about SLAB's very own uh, response and reflection activity or project, which is the Shelf Talkers website. Uh, so we are being joined this afternoon by Carmel Byrne, who is the Head of Library at Berwick Campus of Beacon Hills College, and also Ty Kadena, who wears various hats uh, for SLAV um, and for us, but in this case she's joining us in her role as the, the person who supports and creates a lot of the content for the Shelf Talkers website. So welcome Carmel and Ty. Thank you lovely Susan. Hi Carmel, it's good to see you. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for Hi. joining us tonight to talk about Shelf Talkers, I really appreciate it. Um, for those of you who, who might not know uh, what Shelf Talkers is, Shelf Talkers is a website developed by the SLAV team so that students have a place to share their voice uh, publicly, their thoughts on the books that they were reading, the books that were being published for them. Um, one of the things that we felt was really important in the development of Shelf Talkers was getting publishers involved early on. So part of the Shelf Talkers program, I guess you could call it, is publishers let us know what books they have coming out. Um, we then match them with various schools, depending on year levels and, and those sorts of things. Um, and then they send out advanced reading copies 
to those schools and those students then respond with reviews of their own. There are parameters around um, the review writing and we provide uh, teacher resources and guidelines on the site that um, can help you to discuss Shelf Talkers with your students. But Carmel is an old hand at Shelf Talkers. I think, Carmel, you were one of the first schools to be involved and your students have written us some wonderful reviews since. How have you, how have you found Shelf Talkers has worked for you with your students? really well we got a really good response straight away so um, the books that came to us were there were some suitable very much for uh, lower middle primary and um, I've forgotten exactly how many now I think maybe three or four mm. and there were three or four that were more that were YA so um, we approach it in, in a different way for each group, for each um, age group. So for the younger ones, um, I spoke to a year, one of the year three teachers who's, um, who was always a has always been a champion of reading and, and, and writing and um, student voice. Um, so she promoted it in one way with her students and, and her idea very much was here's an opportunity for those kids who are quieter, um, more in the background, um, and but kids who love to read, not necessarily great writers, but to give them those kids an opportunity so that they, they're not the kids that you would pick to speak at assembly or um, that they may not be very good at sport or performing arts or anything like that. But here they've got this opportunity um, to write for a real audience and to be published online. And she, when she saw the, the material that was provided in the way of prompts and that the kids get like a model that they can look at and learn from, um, that that really impressed her as well. And she was very, very keen. And she had like, I think most of her class were putting their hand up to do it. Um, and then, but the year eights, I decided to um, promote it myself with, um, so we've got six year eight classes, but we've got, um, the kids who are high achievers in English um, can, al can also be in an enrichment class. So I decided to promote it with um, one of the enrichment classes because they were um, probably our kids who, were, would, who I thought would um, be most interested and also the teacher I thought would be most supportive. Um, for them, I think, that the what engaged them and got them hooked in, and again, out of about ten students in the in the enrichment class I approached, um, I think there were eight of them wanting to get involved. Sorry, my, I've got a puppy and a playpen in the other room, so you can probably hear the barking. <laughs> um, so sorry about the background noise. Um, yeah, she can hear me talking, so she wants to come too. Um, so 
yeah, I had most of most of that class wanted to be involved. For them, they wanted the free book, <laughs> especially. So, so part of the program is, you know, that they can get, they can keep the book afterwards. Um, and they were especially excited that I think two of the books hadn't actually been published, so they were, they were still in that previous. Um, it was a step past uncorrected um, manuscript. It was in between that and the final publication, so that really excited them. They're like, "Oh, really? Can we can we really keep it?" So, uh, sorry, I probably did a bit more than. Gosh, no, no, that was absolutely amazing, and I I I feel like that then sort of presents a little bit of a an issue, really, doesn't it? Because while Shelf Talkers has this amazing relationship with our, our publishing houses here in Australia and New Zealand, there is, you know, there's a little bit of a wait. And then once you've had your book sent to you, there's another little bit of a wait while we get through everybody else. I guess, Kamal, have you had any thoughts on ways in which you could possibly entice them to write about the books that they are reading while they're waiting for the next lot of books? Um, well, I was I've forgotten the name of the, the one of the earlier speakers who was who mentioned and I had thought of this before but I'd um, I'd forgotten about it about like using those reviews and adding them to um, the library to to the library catalogue so when students are searching they can read that review there mm. so, uh, so sorry to the person who made that and that was Raina yeah yeah thanks Raina. That's a really great idea. Do you find that, you know, sort of encouraging the students to use Shelf Talkers as a place to read reviews is particularly successful for you or has that not been something yet? It's not something that I've promoted. I think um, most, the, the kids who are of the age group who'd be interested in that, um, a lot of them are on um, Goodreads. Yeah. Um, and there's a there there's a lot of them on um, who are really into book talk and looking at the recommendations there. That's where they that's where they get their ideas from. Yeah. But yeah, look, I think as shelf talkers expands and there are more books there, I yeah. think I think that then it will be of more interest to those to the big readers. Um, the big YA readers anyway. Mm, absolutely. That's the challenging part, isn't it? There's so many places to get recommendations from now. Yeah. It's a bit of sort of where do we look first? Well, I certainly appreciate your involvement in Shelf Talkers, Carmel. Your students have been wonderful. Is there anything that you would like to say about Shelf Talkers to anyone who might be listening today that you would hope would encourage them to participate? Um, I think I think that in the material that's prepared there in the resources, I think that there's a real opportunity for the students who get involved. Um, it's not just writing a review. So the, those sentence stems that are provided, I think do two things. And this is one of the ideas that I, I promoted with the year eights who are wanting to improve who are keen to improve their writing as they read. Um, 
those I, those ideas that are there can help them think about the book in a way perhaps that they hadn't considered before. Um, so that so that's an extra plus for them, and also um, it's an opportunity. Like the material that's provided there is an opportunity for them to improve their sentence structure and their written expression in a natural way um, and with, with, with a purpose as well, with a very clear purpose, with that real audience and the um, enticement of the online publication as well. I'm so pleased you found that useful. I had hoped people would, or we had hoped, Susan and I had hoped that people would find that useful. Thank you so much, Carmel. You have been an invaluable contributor to this conversation and to Shelf Talkers, and we thank you so much for being here to talk about it tonight. Susan, I haven't been keeping track of the chat. Is there anything I should be looking at or Carmel should be looking at? There, there is an interesting question, Ty, and we do have time probably to address it and then we'll wrap up. Lauren says a, a question from her students in regard to shelf talkers. Is there a reason why there are no reviews lower than 3.5 stars? There are guidelines <laughs> highlighting no overly critical reviews, but does that mean that students are unable to honestly give one or two stars? Mm. No, not at all. And it's funny because as the person who posts these reviews, I have noticed that myself, that um, we don't often get well, we've never gotten anything lower than 3.5 stars. Um, I don't know if it's because we have particularly enthusiastic reviewers or if it's a combination of, you know, wonderful books being published and read um, or that, you know, I did wonder if it had something to do with students being enthused to write a reflective response or a review to a book that they enjoyed reading. I guess you know, there are some outstanding reviews out there that we haven't received yet and I often wonder is it because they didn't like the book and they don't know how to constructively talk about that. I think writing critical reviews is a very, very difficult thing to do. Perhaps that might be the next teacher's resource we put up on Shelf Talk is how to write a critical review for a book that you didn't love. Thank you, Ty. Well said. <laughs> I think it's look at the shelf talkers as we all know is an evolving um, evolving project, um, and uh, we're very very lucky to have Ty supporting it and wonderful um, teacher librarians like Carmel in schools supporting it too. But we have got a, a lot of Slab members already subscribed, but everyone else is welcome. Ty, we still have room for more. Do you think? I think we always have room for more. We just need <laughs> the publishers to publish faster. That's that's what's holding us up at the moment. And more YA. I mean, I love middle grade. Don't get me wrong, but there's a gap in the market out there at the moment for YA right now. So Yeah, absolutely. So in the meantime, we're encouraging everyone to submit their reviews, uh, their students' reviews of anything they're reading. But we do recognise that that wonderful carrot of the free book is something that everyone's waiting for too, don't we? Although I just had a thought. Thinking mm. about um, critical reviews, that could potentially be a library lesson that could get them contributing to shelf talkers. So. If you say to the kids, think of a book that you had to read for whatever reason or you started to read, now let's discuss how to write a constructively critical review. I mean, I feel like kids would probably really enjoy that. And then we would get some critical reviews up on Shelf Talkers. 
We would indeed. Please just don't get slabs sued, that's all. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. It's all good. Look, I, I um, that was a great discussion and I think, uh, I think though we don't have any, I'll just quickly check for you. Um, I, th I think everybody else is happy. And, and Catherine, Catherine has suggested that would be a great resource, so I think you're going to have some work tight cut out okay, good. to create something. But we'll, we'll, we can all work on that. Excellent. Now, we are going to wrap it all up. Thank you to Ty and Carmel for chatting about SLAB's own program, which is, I think, such an important initiative that the association has created in relation to response. Thank you to everyone um, for this afternoon. I will email you in relation to gathering feedback about the event and the resources from this afternoon, including the link to the Padlet, the recording of the afternoon's event, and also a link to the podcast if you'd like to listen to it all again. Thank you to our wonderful guest speakers who were all excellent, particularly those who went uh, above and beyond um, presenting under difficult circumstances. And thank you to all of you for supporting SLAB's professional learning program and in particular the reading forum series which is dear to my heart. I do hope to see you all again soon, either online or in person. Our Term 4 reading event will be face to face, oh celebrations, at the beautiful Abbotsford Convent. Uh, where we will have Readings Bookshop as our guest and a number of wonderful creators. So I do hope that you can all join us there. Um, it'll be lovely to invite you and to be able to have an afternoon tea. I miss that so much. Um, thank you, everybody, and look after yourselves. Happy reading. Bye, everyone. <laughs>